the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Well, how about that? Nine minutes after the hour of nine o'clock, on this Monday, the third morning of the fourth month of the year of our Lord, 2023, and Always Right Radio is still on AM 1420, The Answer. How about, I don't know how these strange rumors get started. I don't know how it was that Everybody thought I was going to NPR, and I'm sure it had nothing to do with the Facebook post I made saying thank you to WHK for nine wonderful years, and I'll see you on NPR Monday morning. Sure, it had nothing to do when I posted that on April 1st of 2023. Uh, what a crazy idea. Uh, I, no, no, we're not on, NB, uh, not on NPR. <laughs> we had some fun over the weekend. I had some fun over the weekend, I guess I should say. And judging by some of the responses, hundreds of them, to my Facebook post saying that I was leaving AM 1420, the answer for National Public Radio. Um, we had some fun. Some folks had some fun, too. Some people got it immediately, recognizing the date of that announcement. Others were just 
uh, perplexed, baffled, uh, thunderstruck. Uh, oh my gosh! How can you do that? You're 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 leaving us. You're gonna sac your, sacrifice yourself to the woke gods at NPR. How can this be? People were flipping. Uh, some, not all. Many got it right away. Many people, even yesterday, um, a full day after the fact, uh, were saying, "You know, Bob, why are you leaving? Why are you going to NPR? Are they going to allow you to do what you do?" And blah blah blah. Nope, uh, that was just fun. That was fun because that's what you do on the very first day of April uh, <laughs> in the year of any year of our Lord, to be quite frank. But we are here. We are ready to go. We are locked and loaded. We have a lot of great work to do for you this morning on AM 1420, The Answer, as we always do and always will. Coming up this morning, Jim Jordan had to bump. I just found out late last night his travel plans changed. He's going to be in the air at 935, so he has to bump to tomorrow. Congressman Jordan, I, I really give him all the credit in the world for, li- I mean, this has been, what, probably eight of the nine years running that we've had him every single Monday. Once a week, we get the uh, congressman who used to be in a lot of other positions, of course. Most recently, he was the uh, ranking member of the House Judiciary Committee, and after the November elections, he became the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee. He's busy. He's also chairing the uh, weaponization subcommittee in the uh, Judiciary Committee. He's very busy. He still makes time for us. You see him on Fox. You see him on national television all the time. He is constantly trying to make the case to the American people about what's really going on, and yet he never forgets us. So if he can't come on on his appointed day, on his regular Monday, he always tries to fill that gap and and, and uh, make an appointment for another day. So I really appreciate that. And uh, Chairman Jordan will be with us tomorrow morning at 935, right before Peter Kirstenau. So it'll be a great Tuesday for you. Today, um, we're going to be talking... Um, in about an hour at 1010 with Scott Wiggum. Scott Wiggum is a uh, state representative, as you know. He's also a chair. Well, he was the chairman of a very important committee until late last week when the stolen speaker, uh, uh, Jason Stevens, and, and it's a little f- clunky phrasing, stolen speaker, he stole the gavel. But when the uh, speaker <clears throat> of the Ohio House uh, sent a letter to uh, to Scott Wiggum telling him, you are discharged from your committee chairmanship. You no longer are a committee of a chairmanship, uh, of a, uh, excuse me, you're no longer a chairman of the committee. And the reason why is what we're going to talk to Scott Wiggum about. Uh, this is an embarrassment. This is um, almost a criminal act. This is exactly what you and I and so many others who are outraged at the speaker steal of 23 otherwise known as the coup of 22, because it started back in November after the um, uh, caucus vote, which uh, resulted in Derek Maron being chosen as the uh, speaker-to-be, speaker-elect, if you will. Uh, But at any rate, um, it's worse than we thought it was going to be. Jason Stevens was supposed to be some sort of a conservative uh, speaker. You know, he's just a little bit different than Derek Maron, but it's still going to be a great conservative agenda until, of course, we find out that it is not. Many of us knew that it would not be because there is no way 32 Democrats agree with this 22-strong cabal of Republicans unless they were getting something for it. You're not getting our vote, Jason Stevens, unless we get what we want. And we're starting to see now take shape what they promised, what Jason Stevens is trying to deliver, and what Scott Wiggum was standing in the way of. That's why he booted him from the chairmanship of his committee. So we're going to talk to Scott Wiggum coming up at 1010 this morning. Now, we may also have another state rep. He has got a trial this morning. He's an attorney. 
uh, Josh Williams, the freshman representative from uh, uh, Toledo, uh, we're hoping he is completed with his duties this morning and that he will join us at 11.10. He told me he thinks it's going to be continued. He thinks he'll be available at 11.10, but not confirmed. But Josh Williams uh, put out a very, very strong statement um, about uh, uh, House Joint Resolution 1, which, of course, is the measure to put on the ballot uh, the opportunity to raise the congressional um, amendment threshold to 60%. I'm going to read this real quick because I think it's very, very well done and very profound and very uh, uh, important. Josh Williams put out a statement over the weekend that said, quote, I proudly support House Joint Resolution 1 with voter turnout typically between 40 and 50 percent. That means 20 to 25 percent of Ohio voters can amend the Constitution. This has resulted in Ohio being a prime target for outside organizations interested in pushing their national agenda here in Ohio. The founding document for our state needs protecting from outside influences that are attempting to use our amendment process as a way to social engineer our state into something that the majority of Ohioans do not support. Regardless of my individual position on abortion, the majority of my constituents do not support abortion on demand up until birth. I support this resolution not because it will stop the push toward legalizing abortions. Instead, I support the resolution because it will make it harder to allow outside groups to shape our state without the overwhelming support of voters. That's Josh Williams. So we're going to talk to him about that statement and uh, find out exactly uh, where it goes from here, what he is he intends to do to support HJR1. Uh, and that will be at around 1110 today. So there you have it. Scott Wiggins coming up in an hour. Hopefully Josh Williams an hour after that. And that means the whole first hour is wide open for you at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Either one of those numbers will bring you directly to me. And I know you've got a lot to say because I heard some things about the days that I was out. And I want to say thank you to my friend Khalid Namar, who sat in for me on Thursday as I was in Tennessee with my daughter and my wife, uh, helping her prepare for law school in the fall. Uh, so thank you to Khalid, who did it on Thursday, and thank you to Rob Walgate, who came on on Friday and ruffled a few feathers, I am told. And we are going to talk about maybe smoothing those feathers out just a little bit here uh, as we continue this morning. So before we get into the top stories of the day, what do you say we go ahead and do what we always do? Let's pay respect and tribute to this glorious country that allows us to have freedoms like no other. Let's rise and put your hand on your heart. Face your flag if you have one nearby. If you're in your car, don't try to stand. That's hard to do. You don't have to rise. You stay seated. But go ahead and put your hand on your heart. You can drive with your left hand. I know you can. Uh, and let's do our Pledge of Allegiance. If you are a believer in taking the liberties that are granted to us away by charging the lead candidate of the opposing party with a ridiculous non-crime in order to stop him from trying to become the nominee and potentially the president of the United States again. Well, then you don't have any idea what freedom and liberty are all about. You don't recognize those stars nor those stripes. You are therefore exempted from the request to stand and pledge your allegiance to them. You may instead take a knee next to your favorite unemployed quarterback. As for the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. 
The indictment of President Trump happened while I was away on my little two-day break Thursday and Friday. So I've got, that is our lead story, and it is going to be something that I want to talk about and discuss here in just a moment. But before we take our first break, and before I get to that, I do want to, I do want to talk about the ruffled feathers. Um, people have texted me. People have emailed me. Uh, I guess those are the only two forms. Nobody actually called me. But people have messaged me in a couple of different formats uh, complaining about our program that we had for you on Friday, which was guest-hosted by my good friend Rob Walgate from the Ohio Roundtable and the uh, AP Roundtable, the American Policy Roundtable. And let me just say in, uh, in advance, I know. I knew that Rob's position on this was different than mine, and I knew that Rob's position on HJR1 was different than probably yours. And you know as well as I do, obviously, through listening to this program, that the conservative viewpoint in this state is geared toward uh, passing that resolution to having a, a ballot initiative in uh, in uh, August so that we can indeed raise that the threshold to amend the Ohio Constitution to 60%, from 50 to 60%. I support it. You support it. Conservatives all over the state support it. Uh, Matt Huffman, the Senate president, supports it. It seems like everybody supports it except for, well, Jason Stevens. Uh, the 32 Democrats that joined him and gave him his power. And those who are on the left side of the political spectrum. Which brings me to my good friend Rob. Rob is the farthest thing in the world from being on the left side of the political spectrum. Rob is as conservative as the day is long. Rob and I agree on probably 99% of the issues. I can think of two times that jump out to me right now in which I have disagreed with Rob uh, on uh, on on uh, election issues, ballot measures in the state of Ohio, particularly referendums. The first one was back when the casino gambling uh, uh, issue was put before us, and we disagreed, and I was the one who would have been considered on the quote-unquote left side of the spectrum, if you want to then, because I don't have a problem with personal responsibility. I didn't have a problem with casinos being legalized any more than I have a problem with sports betting, which is now legalized here in the state of Ohio, uh, because I believe in personal responsibility. People can spend their money however they wish to spend their money on entertainment. Some people spend it at the movies, a lot of money at the movies. Some people spend it on travel. Some people spend their entertainment dollars at sporting events, a lot of money at sporting events. Some people choose to spend their entertainment dollars, as I said to Rob at the time, and I'll say again today, at the casino, at the track, at whatever, playing the legalized gambling casino that is the Ohio Lottery. Right? Anyway, Rob and I disagreed about that, and um, it was okay. Because good people uh, are allowed and able to not be slaves to groupthink and are allowed to disagree with one another. There's room for opposing opinions without cancellation or silencing or suppressing the voices of those with whom we disagree in the conservative tent. And to some of the people who messaged me and said, how could you let this guy come onto your show and say something different than what you believe? when it comes to this issue about the 60%, about amending the Ohio Constitution. People have complained to me and said, how dare you? How could you? He said something that we disagreed with, too. And my response to you is, again, Rob and I are probably 99% politically like-minded. On this particular issue, we're not. But I am not. And you should know this from my 
constant reminders to you that I am the National um, Communications Director for Citizens for Free Speech, I am not of a mind to silence dissenting viewpoints. I will take them on. I will discuss. I will debate. If Jason Stevens wanted to call himself right now, the Speaker in the Ohio House, to talk to me about why he opposes the August uh, 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 ballot initiative, why he opposes stopping the outside, as Josh Williams wrote in that statement I read to you, the outside forces outside of the state from coming in here and taking over the state by pushing a very simple majority, 50% plus one, of voter turnout to, to legalize abortion and legalize transitioning for minors without parental consent. I'd debate Jason Stevens on that right now. I wouldn't say, no, you can't come on. I would say, let's go. So on Friday, when Rob came on, I knew what Rob was going to talk about. I knew his position. And I was not going to silence him. I was not going to tell him, your viewpoint is not welcome here. I said, take it and take it to my listeners. State your case. Make your points. Have good, healthy debate and discussion with my listeners. I think you're going to find that most everybody is going to disagree with you. I think you're going to be out on an island here. I told Rob this before the show, or uh, a couple of days, actually, before he even came on. I was in Tennessee when the show was on, but I said, go for it. I do not suppress nor silence dissent. Why? I'm not a leftist. Why? I'm not a Marxist. I'm not a Democrat. Democrats cancel accounts when people say things they don't like. Democrats who run social media accounts, cancel them. Democrats get people fired for saying things they don't want to hear. Democrats get get students disciplined, detentions, suspensions, expulsions, for saying things that they don't want to hear. If they call a boy, an actual boy, by a boy's name instead of a girl's name and calling them a girl, Democrats want people punished for those kinds of things. Democrats do not support free speech when it comes to things with which they disagree. Guess what I'm not? I'm not a Democrat. I don't cancel. I don't suppress. I don't censor speech with which I disagree. I listen to it. I debate it. I usually destroy it. But I don't silence it. Rob came on with a viewpoint that I knew Friday a lot of people would disagree with, and I was not going to go Democrat on him and say, you can't say those things. Say them, and let's have the debate. That was my that was my recommendation to my guest host. I stood by it before he came on. I just I stood by it when he was on, and I stand by it now after that that show is over. No, I will not be eliminating Rob from the rotation of wonderful guest hosts that I have when I'm not able to do the show. Rob did his job. Rob, and I didn't hear the show, as I said, but going from all of the descriptions and the uh, reports that I've been given, Rob did his job, made his point known, and said, let's do this thing. And uh, that's how it's supposed to be, in a functioning democratic republic in which the First Amendment to the Constitution holds sway. We have those discussions. We don't censor those discussions. And that's how it's supposed to work. So if you've got something to say to that and respond to, let's do that. Same same thing here. If you didn't like it, you want to talk about it, 216-901-0945, 888 We'll take our time out here because we do have to get to the news. Then we'll talk about the, lead, the real lead story of the day, which is the indictment not of a former president, but the indictment of a current 
presidential candidate. That's the angle on Trump that is the most outrageous, and that's what we'll talk about on AM 1420 The Answer. Waking up America from its woke slumber. Always right radio with Bob France on The Answer. Okay, 935, always right radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Good morning. Thanks for being with us. Good to have you back. Not that you ever left, but I did uh, for a couple of days. So thanks again to uh, Khalid Damar and Rob Walgate for sitting in. If you've got a thought on those stories and uh, things we just discussed with respect to uh, the uh, House Joint Resolution 1, uh, we'll take your calls at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Other than that, we need to dive into what happened while I was away. And while I was away, I learned, by the way, uh, shockingly, I was. I, were you? I, I had pretty much become convinced until the date, or until the moment, rather, that they made the announcement of the Trump indictment. <clears throat> I was pretty much convinced he was not going to be indicted. And I thought he was playing everybody by making that statement a couple of weeks ago in which he said, I'm going to be indicted on Tuesday. I thought he was trying to generate support, generate sympathy, generate anger, generate uh, generate outrage, and uh, get more people behind him because it would be so incredibly, um, I don't know, wrong. I'm looking, I'll find a better word there, but it would have just been completely asinine to think that they would charge him with something as ridiculous as this when there is no crime that was actually committed and they had to actually try to merge one crime together with another to make it a crime that is worth indicting. We knew that the guy who was going to be potentially guiding this indictment from a grand jury, the prosecutor Alvin Bragg, had run for the Manhattan District Attorney's job on the campaign or on a campaign of, I'm going to get Trump. I mean, it was unbelievable how many things were wrong with this. And it didn't look like it was ever going to happen. <clears throat> Trump said it was going to happen by Tuesday, two weeks ago. It didn't. Uh, and so it just kind of started to look like, you know what, this isn't going to happen. He really just played this in order to say, look, they're still persecuting me. Donate to my campaign. They're still persecuting me. Support me. That's how it looked. Right up until the moment that it didn't. Now, I did many a show in those two weeks, those last couple of weeks. Um, defending President Trump. Many shows, many long extended monologues defending President Trump for the obvious reasons. He is being persecuted. He was being persecuted the moment he went came down the escalator in 2015. The moment he decided to run for president. He was persecuted as he ran for president. He was persecuted when he became president. He was persecuted as they tried to remove him from the presidency. I mean, we can sit here and go through again and again and again all of the litany of things that they were that were done to him that have never been done to any president or presidential candidate before, and they're all true, and it's all astounding, and it's all it's um it it speaks so poorly of the greatest country in the history of human civilization. It just does. So once we found out that he was indeed and is again being persecuted officially when the indictment came down, the responses were predictable. The responses were, here come the support. Here comes the uh, the cavalry. The cavalry of conservative Republicans, whether they like Donald Trump personally or not, whether they support Donald Trump personally or not, came rushing to his defense. And that is what I love about being a conservative. All conservatives should be outraged by this. All conservatives should be rushing to his defense. Now, whether you do that from a standpoint of financial 
uh, support or not is up to you, and it really just depends on what maybe you can do. But here's what we do know. Former President Trump raised more than $4 million in the first 24 hours after that indictment was announced. This was on Friday. Again, I was out. Massive support, surge of grassroots contributions. The average donation was about $34. 25% of the donations came from first-timers. These are people who were not supportive of President Trump, at least financially, in the past. But they are now. They're coming to support him. They're coming to defend him. They're coming to reelect him. Simply to spite the forces of, yes, I'll say it, I don't care, evil. Because that's what I believe. The current, modern-day, Marxist-led, globalist Democrat Party has become. It is just straight-up evil. They no longer even pretend to be on the side of righteousness. They're evil. People came up to fight that evil. People came up to support President Trump against that evil. And I absolutely support that. Americans from all 50 states have donated in that first 24-hour period, within the first five hours of the indictment, by the way. That's incredible. And this is, of course, what many believe is going to be the uh, the downfall, if you will, of the Democrat Party, the evil Democrat Party. They have decided to push the self-destruct button on their own grand plans. There's no other way to look at it. The poll bump that Donald Trump has received since this sham indictment over hush money, and not even just over hush money, and we got a lot, got some audio I want to share with you too, but not just hush money, but uh, uh, hush money being reimbursed. I mean, hush money in and of itself is not illegal. Unless you're paying somebody to do something illegal, and having an affair is not illegal. If you're paying somebody to be quiet about a personal affair that is something between you and your spouse, I mean, none of that stuff is illegal. So they had to invent something illegal. And they're saying, oh, well, he paid that money with campaign contributions. First of all, we don't know that it actually happened. Second of all, even if it is campaign contributions, what does that mean in the bigger picture? We know that according to the last Manhattan District Attorney, Cy Vance, not a whole hell of a lot. They declined to indict. According to virtually everybody in federal, in the federal FEC, the Federal Elections Commission, it meant nothing because they didn't. They didn't think enough of it to even file a complaint. This has been touched off. This this new movement of persecution against Trump has been touched off by a Soros-backed DA who literally ran and got his contributions from Soros uh, organizations who are uh, running a campaign of, of getting Donald Trump. He basically promised when he was running to get Trump, to indict him in a a Manhattan uh, court by a Manhattan grand jury. Mind you, this is a local jurisdiction. This is not a federal elections commission complaint. This isn't before a federal judge. This is a local DA trying to stop a federal candidate for president. Now, let's hit that part for a moment, shall we? People seem to think that this also is unprecedented to uh, indict a former president, and we can't have that. Well, Yeah, but that's not the real outrage here. It's not his past presidency that should be the issue. It's the fact that he is a candidate for president in the current election cycle. And he happens to be the front runner in the current election cycle. So for a local left wing, 
owned and operated district attorney to try and file criminal charges against the front runner of the opposing political party in the race for the presidency of the United States. That is the unprecedented nature of this uh, against we, sh- uh, w- uh, w- uh, we should push or that we should push back against. That's the issue here, friends. This is not necessarily about the fact that he's a former president. Yeah, that's true, too. But the fact that he's a current candidate and is being targeted, that's why Jim Jordan wants to talk to him. That's why the Judiciary Committee says, whoa, 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 whoa. You're going to try to derail a presidential campaign with this ridiculous indictment? And we all have to know, by the way, and I've discussed this before. I won't be too terribly redundant here. I've I've worked on a grand jury. I've been a... I've been a foreman of a grand jury. Um, I know how the grand jury process works. Um, And I can tell you that, yes, Alvin Bragg had a mission to get the grand jury to indict. It's something that prosecutors can do very, very easily. They can sway the grand jury with all kinds of incriminating evidence or suggestions that the uh, defense doesn't get to, to, uh, uh, to argue. Because in a grand jury... There is no defense presented. It is simply a prosecutor giving all of the evidence that they believe exists and telling the grand jury whether or not they think they can have a reasonable expectation of, of a guilty verdict. And, and that's all it takes is for the prosecutor to say, I believe there's enough evidence here to get a guilty verdict. But it's up to you good people to decide as you weigh the evidence as you deliberate. Uh, and, and, of course, the grand jury is very, very susceptible to whatever it is that the the prosecutor says. So the prosecutor got a grand jury just to indict because the prosecutor wanted the indictment for all of the reasons previously mentioned. So let's talk about what the indictment is for. Let's talk about what the actual crime is. And let's talk about what law was broken here. One of President Trump's attorneys is Joseph Takapina, and he was on CNN um, telling the truth about the law that fits this crime. There isn't one. Um, you know, we will take the indictment. We will dissect it. Um, the team will look at every every um, potential issue that we, we will be able to challenge, and we will challenge. And, of course, I very much anticipate a motion to dismiss coming because there's no law that fits this. And you have a situation where, you know, the federal government, the Department of Justice, turned this matter down. Um, the FEC, which governs uh, federal election uh, laws, said there's no violation here. Yet somehow... A state prosecutor has taken a a misdemeanor and tried cobbled together to make it a felony by alleging a violation of federal federal uh, campaign violations. Well, and- so the FEC, which governs, I mentioned this a moment ago, federal election law says there's nothing wrong here. A state prosecutor then takes a misdemeanor and again, as I said before, cobbles it together with a couple of other things and tries to make it a felony by alleging this is a violation of of federal campaign law. It is clearly not. Um, Representative John Ratcliffe spoke on this as well, saying that what, and this is where I want to underscore my point about the fact that he's a former president being the key issue here is not the key issue here. The fact that he is a current presidential candidate is what makes this an issue here, because they are trying to stop the Republican Party from choosing its own nominee for the presidency. We call that election interference. Well, Maria, I mean, the point is, this is election interference. We don't know how. No one really knows how this is going to play out. We just know that it is going to be a factor. We have crossed the Rubicon from people saying, you know, on the left, 
President Trump should be indicted to the discussion is going to be President Trump was indicted. And however long this case takes, and very clearly, um, it's not going to play out throughout the court system in, in less than a year that it's going to take you know, to, to uh, you know, reach uh, a Republican nominee. And so this action, uh, this political persecution is going to influence our politics every single day uh, for the next year until a Republican nominee is chosen, and that is, by definition, election interference. You cannot dispute any single word of that. John Ratcliffe, the Republican from Texas, is exactly right. This is intended to stop him from winning the nomination. That is election interference. It has nothing to do with upholding the law in New York. Manhattan, a borough that is plagued by assaults, robberies, rapes, beatings, shootings, it is an absolute disaster, and the DA there is not prosecuting violent crimes. But the DA is going to spend all of his time trying to get former President Trump. Again, why? Because he's current presidential candidate Trump. Now, you heard John Ratcliffe talk about crossing the Rubicon, because this is this is, this is a moment. This is a moment that is going to have long-lasting implications if we can start to do this and push bogus, ridiculous charges against leading candidates for president or maybe even other elected office this crosses that rubicon according to john ratcliffe you know who agrees former attorney general appointed by president trump bill barr spoke of the same rubicon Uh, and the real danger of this thing over the long term isn't so much narrowed to trump it's that now we have thousands of da's around the country now that the rubicon has been crossed uh, any one of them can sort of find federal candidates or, or someone in, or federal office holders and so forth can find some state law they want to pursue the person on and get themselves into the national political arena. That is so dangerous, it's hard to even quantify. It's hard to put into words. He's right. Now that the Rubicon has been crossed, you're going to see thousands of DAs looking at Alvin Bragg and saying, he did it, me too. And they're going to join and they're going to find their targets. And they're almost exclusively going to be Republican or conservative targets because these are left-wing DAs that are, that are kind of uh, taking these marching orders and will be following the example set by Alvin Bragg. But this is going to happen all over the place. Now, the last clip I want to play for you here is from Peter Schiff. Peter Schiff um, is... Um, a stockbroker, financial commentator, and a CEO and chief global strategist. He's a wheeler and a dealer and a in a in a massive uh, uh, business business executive. He also does a radio show, and on Peter Schiff's radio show, um, he explained something that I think everybody needs to hear. He destroys Alvin Bragg's case for indicting Trump very very simply by pointing out that even if even if Trump were guilty of trying to pay hush money to the porn star, even if this is not something that warrants a prosecution, this should be simply a fine. There is nothing that should lead to all of this drama, even if it were true, and we have no idea if it's true. But even if it we actually have some idea if it's true, and that would be that it's not, because the attorney for Michael Cohen actually released that letter, that that massive bombshell last week before I left, back on, I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday, claiming very directly that Michael Cohen paid Stormy Daniels funds out of his own personal account and that the Trump campaign never 
either by way of the campaign or the personal account of Donald Trump ever paid Michael Cohen any money to do that for reimbursement or anything else. So we actually have a very strong indication that it never happened at all. But as Peter Schiff says, even if it did, this is overreach. Listen. If the purpose of the 120000 is so Stormy Daniels doesn't make these allegations, but you have to report it on something that's disclosed to the public, if you report that you paid Stormy Daniels $120,000 to not say anything, you've just destroyed the entire value of what you were buying for the $120,000. So it would actually make it impossible if you had to report it as a campaign contribution, because then why even do it? Because the fact that you made the payment would, would be news in and of itself, and you basically would look guilty uh, because because you paid. So I don't even see how he could have reported it, uh, e- even if he thought it was a campaign donation, which he clearly did not, because he has a right to do that as a private citizen. Just because he's running for president doesn't mean you can't enter into a confidentiality agreement with somebody. I mean, you could do... Confidentiality agreements are perfectly legal as long as you're not paying someone to commit a crime or to cover up a crime. And guess what? Adultery is not a crime. It may be a crime against his marriage if this happened, and I'm not saying it did or it didn't. But even if he did, a confidentiality agreement is not a crime. That for personal reasons, the guy's a married man, uh, the guy's got kids, he doesn't want this person talking about something that may or may not have happened. He may have made that payment even if he wasn't running for president. But there certainly were valid reasons for Donald Trump to believe that that didn't constitute a campaign uh, contribution that should have been disclosed. And in fact, the federal uh, uh, you know, campaign finance people, they knew about it for years. They, they never filed any charges. Now you got this ridiculous uh, DA in, in, in Manhattan coming out and saying, oh, he violated campaign finance law. Well, well why didn't the federal government say something about it because it's a federal law it's not a state law if he violated these federal election laws that really should be the end of the discussion and i'll play the 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 money line of the clip in a moment but that should be the end of the discussion if there is a campaign violation here it would be a federal issue not a state issue the manhattan da would have absolutely no sway whatsoever here this should be a federal issue if they're alleging federal campaign finance laws why didn't the federal government do anything about it? I mean, I know firsthand uh, about this because I was fined and I paid a ten thousand dollar fine. I think it was ten thousand dollars. May have been twenty. I don't. Re- I don't know for sure, but I. I think it was ten. But I, I got fined for violating campaign finance laws. Nobody indicted me. I didn't face criminal charges. I paid a fine. That's the money line. If there is. In illegal, not in illegal, if there is a payment here that is a violation of campaign finance laws, if the worst case scenario, it's here's a fine. That's it. Game over. This is not something that we should lead to a trial. It would be an immediate assessment of a fine. It would be accepted and paid, and away we go. It's not an issue that should get in the way of this election. But they don't want a fine here. They want a criminal trial because that would in fact, get in the way of an election. Which is why going back to what Trump's attorney said and what John Ratcliffe said is indeed election interference. The left likes to say that election interference is a threat to quote-unquote democracy. Our democracy, they scream. 
requires free and fair elections without interference. That's what the left screams. But meanwhile, they threw parties over the weekend celebrating this attempted election interference. I'll take your calls at 216-901-0945. I apologize. I've had a lot of information to present. See, that's what happens. You know, It's like when you diet or starve yourself for a couple of days. You're, you're ravished. You're hungry. You want to come back and you just eat like crazy. Well, I was gone for a couple of days. So I am trying to, I'm trying to catch up on everything that I missed, and I'm trying to feed myself here. So uh, I will take your calls. We are going to talk with Representative Scott Wiggum next hour as well. So stay here on Always Right Radio. Okay, it's 9.58. Let's uh, get Sally in Berea up and on the line before the top of the hour. Sally, thanks for your patience. Like I said, I had a lot to say after being out for a few days. Uh, Good morning. Go right ahead. Hi, Bob. This is regarding um, Friday's uh, presentation by Rob Walgate. I think it's always valuable to hear from responsible persons different sides of an issue and so that we can all be informed. And I did learn something from him that I hadn't realized. He said that um, if for some reason there aren't enough signatures to put it on the ballot in November, which I think he said 400,000, and they had to be proven, he said that it would carry over and the signatures would be valid for the coming year, and it could be used to put on the ballot in twenty four. And I, I didn't realize that they would, would not expire. So that was helpful well, to know. Yeah, it, it's very important to know. And quite frankly, it's a little bit frightening to learn because if this had to be pushed past November and into 2024, now we're talking about a much, much larger turnout of of Democrats who are going to be out there to try to support Sherrod Brown, for example, in his reelection, to support uh, whomever you know their nominee is going to be, whether it's Biden, but to uh, try to turn Ohio from red to blue. There's going to be a massive, massive turnout to deal with here, and there may be more leftists who want to push the abortion issue through the uh, abortion abortion embedded in the Constitution in 24 than there are in a smaller turnout in November of this year. Right. I think it's always good to hear all sides. 100% agree. 100% agree. That's why I didn't have any prompts. Sally, thank you. I appreciate the call. It's a big deal if those uh, signatures push over into 2024, and this does become uh, a ballot issue in 2024. Like I said, then what do we have? Then we have all of the Democrats at a much, much higher turnout there to support, you know, Biden and Harris or somebody else if it's going to be a, a changeover. But, you know, Sherrod Brown obviously is still very popular among Democrats in this state. They know there's going to be a strong opponent uh, from the Republican side to boot him from the Senate. So they're going to come out in force. And while they're out there voting for people like Brown, they're going to be checking yes on uh, uh, embedding uh, abortion into the Ohio Constitution. So that's a big factor as well. So she's right. It's good to hear information from all sides of this issue, even from conservative Republicans who may disagree a little bit with our methodology. All right, 10 o'clock. We'll get news now. We're going to come back and talk a little bit about that, HJR1, House Joint Resolution 1, and about uh, uh, what Jason Stevens is doing to conservatives in the Ohio House. Representative Scott Wiggum is one of those victims. That's right. He's been victimized. We'll talk with Scott Wiggum next on AM 1420, The Answer. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. 
to Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. Onward we roll now. Hour number two is underway. Ten minutes past ten o'clock. Thanks for being with us on Always Right Radio. So we'll get back to the uh, Trump indictment and the uh, ridiculous uh, persecution that that man continues to face, which, quite frankly, is a persecution on the democratic process itself. But we'll get back to that in a bit. I want to pivot now to what I told you at the top of the hour. We started out talking about uh, some of the stuff that was discussed last week with respect to House Joint Resolution 1 and uh, the ongoing attempt by some in this state, including perhaps and apparently definitively the Speaker of the Ohio House of Representatives to... Uh, to lay the groundwork to allow abortion and transitioning for minors without support or knowledge even of parents uh, to become embedded in the Ohio Constitution by way of a ballot initiative that is expected to be on the ballot if they get the signatures this November. Uh, Jason Stevens is the Ohio House, or excuse me, is the Ohio House Speaker, and as I said, uh, he had plenty of opportunities to allow us to get something on the May ballot to try to increase the threshold to change the Ohio Constitution from 50% to 60%. He did not allow that to happen. In fact, he was away. And now that the call for an August uh, vote, a special election in August to make this happen, he is very, very strong in his opinion that this should not and will not happen. So... Now, apparently, he is taking his political opponents out behind the proverbial woodshed. He sent a letter to Representative Scott Wiggum announcing that he is removing him from the chairmanship and from his membership in a very important committee, the House Constitutional Resolutions Committee. And, uh, well, I'm going to let Scott Wiggum tell you the rest of that story. Representative Scott Wiggum, thank you for joining us this morning here in Cleveland. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to have you on. I wish we had different circumstances here to discuss because this is quite outlandish. Uh, what uh, what I read, I received uh, a copy of the letter that was sent to you, um, and if, with your permission, I want to read a few lines of it so that people know what you're responding to. Uh, Speaker Stevens, in a direct letter to Representative Wiggum, said in part, your handling of House Joint Resolution 1 over the last month and a half has made it clear you are either unable or unwilling to fulfill the responsibilities of your chairmanship of your committee. He said, HJR 1 is a priority for our caucus. It was referred to the House Constitutional Resolutions Committee on February 16th. However, the first and only hearing was not held until March 22nd. Any complaint about the timing and process for reporting HDR 1 out of the House Constitutional Resolutions Committee lies solely at your feet. Therefore, I was dismayed to see your name and signature on a discharge petition for HJR 1. Accordingly, I am removing you as chair of the House Constitutional Resolutions Committee. You are also being removed from the committee itself. Uh, I am profoundly disappointed that I have to take this action. Ohio's Constitution is the bedrock bedrock of our democracy, and I believe any changes to it should result from open, honest, and public debate. Uh, Representative Wiggums, Wiggum, I'm going to give you a uh, wide latitude here to respond to as much of that uh, as you see fit. Well, the, the pressure's on uh, for Speaker Stevens. Um, as you know, he got that uh, position with the Democrat Party voting for him as Speaker and a, a minority of Republicans, 22 Republicans, 32 Democrats. Uh, and in the uh, conversation, even in the, um, in the media, it was reported that numerous Democratic lawmakers told News Channel 5, you know, that uh, one of the deals was the elimination of uh, – a resolution to require 60% supermajority uh, under the constitutional amendments to succeed. 
So um, that was reported. Do you happen to know, if I may, for the sake of uh, of complete uh, uh, information here to our listeners, do you happen to know which Democrat representative said so publicly on News Channel Five? No, I do not. Um, This was reported. This was before reported by Morgan Trout. Okay, with news uh, with uh, News Channel Five. Oh yeah, I know it happened, Um, and and I'll find it. I just wanted to throw names up there if you had them at the top of your tongue there, uh, top of your mind there, because I wanted to uh, to let people know exactly what was said. I'm sorry. Continue, please. Well, the the leader, the leader of the Democrat, okay, party um, uh, for the House, um, Mm -hmm. Minority Leader Russo, basically Mm -hmm. said it said that um, we knew that we could. at the end of the day, we could work on issues uh, that we all agree on. And so that's what's happening here. And so when the speaker put this in my, uh, in my committee, uh, the Constitutional Resolutions Committee, he did so after the deadline for it to go on the May ballot. Okay? After so the after deadline, the de- oh, which yes. is very so important. the May ballot. Correct. So, so first of all, uh, even though he was a speaker for uh, nearly a month, nearly four weeks, um, he he uh, he didn't he didn't put it on until after the deadline. So that's that's number one. So we missed that deadline. He's made numerous statements that he doesn't really like the bill, doesn't think it's a good way forward. And then he came out and he's and so when it came into my into my committee, what we had to do was a couple of things. We had to start watching what was going on with the Planned Parenthood, pro-abortion, uh, on-demand, uh, anti-parent rights, uh, constitutional amendment that they were doing because they were steamrolling ahead for November. Okay, So we had to figure out, okay, what does it mean that if this HGR1 um, gets on in November? So that was number one. So we had to start. I had to start investigating that immediately, and that was not not from help from the from the speaker's office. Okay, the speaker's not helping with this. We're we're usually a speaker can can get all these assets mustered and start looking at this information and lead the way, but the speaker does not because the speaker is not in favor of HGR one. So that's number one. Number two, um, we we had to, we started investigating whether we could be on the on the ballot at a different time. Okay. So, because we knew we wouldn't, we did not want to be on the ballot uh, uh, in in November with the, the the pro-abortion, because what would happen is you could you could fifty percent plus one could put abortion on demand in the Constitution, and you lose your parental rights uh, for your children, and then it gets protected with a sixty percent um, a sixty percent threshold, okay, to remove it. That would not be fair to the citizens of Ohio, okay? I want to protect our constitutional rights, but we are on a crash course right here of just absolutely decimating our Constitution in November if the Democrats get their way. So the, so the question is, is I, I know that the votes would not be there to put it on at the same time um, because now you're taking a major gamble. You're going to destroy your Constitution and then make it hard to change the Constitution. Um, so... So bottom line is August was it, and so we started looking at it, and when we found out that the Senate uh, was making overtures that they would like to see an August ballot, we got into action. So I had the first, I had the first hearing. We're coming back after uh, a break, and uh, I was uh, setting up the, the proponent and the opponent testimony for the week that we come back for break. Um, and then – when when all of this was happening, the speaker came out and said, "I'm absolutely against the August uh, deadline or the August ballot." And it, it was the August ballot, uh, I'm against this. I don't think it's a good uh, it's a good issue. I don't think we should be doing this. 
And so basically he made a public statement that he is killing HGR1. He's killing it because it's not going to go on November. It can't go on in November, and August is your last, uh, is your last time. Um, so that was the problem. And so, therefore, a petition discharge doesn't just take the bill out of my, out of my committee, my former committee. It doesn't do that and give it to the speaker because normally if you pass a bill, then it goes back into the hands of the speaker and the rules and reference com- uh, committee, and they can sit on it. It can sit below the black line is what they call it. It can sit there forever. You can let it die. Well, all he's got to do is sit on it until it passes um, the deadline for the, um, uh, for, for the August deadline. And if he does that, he kills it. That is the, that is the death knell for HGR1 for this year, at least, uh, if he does it, because we can't make the deadline for November because the curing period goes so long uh, that it doesn't, it doesn't appear that we would have any days to get it done. So when he made that statement, he's saying, I am going to kill HGR1, and at that point we knew that we couldn't take it out of my committee and put it in the hands of the speaker because he would kill it. So we had to take it out of my committee and try to put it straight on the floor. And that's the only way that this will work. Um, and you only can do that through a petition discharge. It goes straight to the floor. It bypasses the speaker's control. And that's the procedure that nobody that, that I've got to explain to people that's going on here that uh, makes this a very <laughs> difficult issue. But the speaker is, is feeling a lot of pressure, and he's pointing the finger at me for not running this committee the way he thinks it should have been run. Um, but if we pass this bill out, the speaker kills it. It's got to go from the committee to the floor. That's why this petition discharge is so important. We are talking with uh, Representative Scott Wiggum. Um, that is extraordinarily important information. A lot of people don't know that. I didn't know that until I got this information from you as well. That We, we, all, we do know that in the rules package that was passed, by the speaker, uh, which was passed without any amendments even being heard, much less voted on, uh, when the rules package was passed. It did give him essentially unilateral authority to kill any, any bill that he wanted to, to not allow any bill to come out of committee and be brought to the floor. This would have been one of those. And so you found a workaround there, and the workaround was the one that he now killed by way of stripping you of your chairmanship and your membership on that committee. Well, correct. I got stripped of it because he has to have a, a scapegoat. He has got to point the finger to somebody else because the the, 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 the real statement is if you're not for HJR1, you're for the radical changes that could be happening and coming to our Constitution in November. That you that, That's how important HGR1 is right now. And the 60% well, threshold... You, well, you, if, says, I, if I may, Representative yeah. Wiggum, the, why don't you respond to this part of this, too? Because of, of, of all the... Astounding things that I found in the letter that I just shared portions of with our audience. Um, This one might have been the most astounding. Quote, as we all know, HJR1 is a priority for our caucus. Because it is a priority, it was referred to the House Constitution, blah, blah, blah. He's literally saying it's a priority, but for him, based on everything you just described and based on all of the actions and things we've heard him say, it's a priority for him to kill. It's not a priority to pass. It's a priority for the rest of the caucus, but not for him and, uh, you know, the supporters, uh, you know, the gang of 22 uh, that gave him his gavel. Well, the, the, the gang of 22 are going to protect the speaker, and he's going to protect the gang of 22, okay? That's number one. Number two is he cannot go against it. The, 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 the second he goes against what the Democrat Party wants in the House is the second that he can be vacated from that office. Okay, so he is he is duty bound. Explain duty that. Bound good. How, 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 how well, does Democrats that work? Get, 
Well, if, if we put something forward that the Democrats perhaps it's a it's a kill, a, a, a kill breaker or you know it's a, the death knell to the Democrats, they can say we're we're no longer supporting you, and if they fall away from Jason Stevens, he can be removed from uh, the Speaker's office at any time. So he, yeah, uh, yes, yeah, yes, you can. You you call for vacating the chair, uh, vacating the Speaker's office, just vacating the Speaker, and then you have another vote. For speaker, how many and how so many is, how many votes is are required? I apologize. How many votes are required to uh, vacate the, the the speaker's chair? Well, we would at least have to have we would at least have to have five of the twenty two Republicans come over. The twenty two Republicans that voted for him will have to say, "I'm sorry," and uh, I'm going on the record that as soon as we can do it, I will vote to vacate the chair. Okay, so, that has not happened. So, what you're describing um, would would sound like. I think what most people would 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 call a deal, um, a deal with the Democrats that requires the current steps being taken by Speaker Stevens uh, to make sure that the ballot initiative uh, goes on with just a 50 percent threshold needed in November for them to uh, embed abortion forever into the Ohio Constitution, along with, again, as you say, stripping parents of their rights over their kids when it comes to transitioning and so forth. So you're, what you're describing sounds like a deal was made. We have heard Jason Stevens deny multiple times that there was any deal. We have heard, I've interviewed many members of the 22 who have all said the same thing. There was no deal. There was no deal. This is, this is all just media spin and it's all lies. There was no deal. This sounds like a deal to me, Speaker, or excuse me, uh, Representative Wiggum. Well, here's a, here's a direct, um, quote from, uh, I'm just looking at it right now, Minority Leader Allison Russo. They needed our votes, and we took the opportunity to make sure that we were going to be working with the speaker. We felt at the end of the day would work with us on issues that we could agree on. So however that deal, uh, however that deal looks, uh, there were certainly conversations about what was going to happen here. And um, the, 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 however that is made out, what we see now is that Speaker Stevens is going to, be, is, is going to have to stick to it. Because he has not consolidated the Republican caucus whatsoever. Um, it's in shambles right now, uh, even though there's more Republicans than I think ever, 67 out of the 99. Um, and he's not consolidated. In fact, he's pushing a liberal agenda, more liberal than I've seen well, out of any. M- members of uh, the speaker. Gang of 22, Representative Wigga, members of the Gang of 22 told us this would be no problem, that he is still, I mean, you know, just because he's not Derek Maron doesn't mean all is lost here. He's a strong conservative, and he will unite the Republican caucus. This 45-22 split won't last long. We'll all come together with a conservative agenda. That doesn't, that's what we were told. But here we are three months in, and I'm not, I'm not seeing much of that happening. Am I, am I missing it? Well, um, no. So the backpack bill was on the table, and that was in this uh, article, too. I'm just looking at one article. I'm not even looking at any of the other articles. Mm-hmm. Uh, the deal may also stop the backpack bill, of course, which is school choice for parents, and, and to be able to send their children to the school of their choice instead of being stuck in maybe a, uh, 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 in a, in a government school. Uh, so all of that was on the table, and that's all confirmed in this, in this one article. And this is just one article. There's others. So, so obviously, um, you know, Speaker Stevens doesn't want to, want anybody to think that there was a deal that would be detrimental to him. But every single thing that he's done in this seems to be uh, making sure that the backpack bill's not going forward and HGR one's not going forward. You know, it's very nice that he said that HGR one is a uh, is a central uh, is a priority for the caucus. Mm-hmm. Um, but but everything that he has done has been able to kill it. And he doesn't want people – I don't think that they want people to know. If he doesn't know, then that's a problem. Um, 
but but they they want people to think that we can't get this this done. We can't get it over the line. He wants them to think that there's not 60 votes that they just don't have it. But he's not going to tell you who's not going to vote for it. There's probably about eight members who would love to have cover. Uh, we we're now down to 65 because we had one member that was a uh, that was a yes vote on HGR one uh, leave for the governor's office, and we also had one uh, pass away, Chris Jordan. Right. And so we're down to 65 now and two open seats. Now, that makes this a little bit harder, too, because we just lost two votes. But there, I, I estimate that I think that there would be about eight people that would love to have the cover uh, of the speaker on this. And so they're going to try to make uh, a game and say, yeah, there's just not the votes there to, to pass it. Well, put it on the floor and let the people of Ohio see the vote count. And so I've seen this over and over. I've seen how this game is played, and it's being played again right now. Last question for you, Representative Wiggum. We're already past our time here, but I just want to ask you, do you think there can be any uh, deal-making done or any pressure applied? I know there's separate chambers, obviously, to talk about the Ohio Senate and the Ohio House, but, Ohio House, but Matt Huffman is all for this uh, August election. Uh, he wants to get this thing done. He wants to raise that threshold before November. Do you think there's any opportunity for anybody on the Senate side to move uh, uh, Jason Stevens? I do. I do not know. I do not know. But you know, what, what do they have to give away in order to do that? Um, the statement is is that the the Senate can pass this. It can come over to the House. We can pass one out and keep one on the petition discharge. Um, you know, we can do those types of things so you can get a couple different things going. Right? You can have the Senate, uh, the Senate, um, uh, the Senate, the Senate resolution. Um, you can pass that out immediately if it goes to constitutional resolutions, and so you can try to apply pressure in both ways. But the fact of the matter, uh, I think that that uh, Speaker Stevens' letter to me shows what kind of desperate uh, uh, situation he is in, and he has got to be able to blame this uh, on somebody else besides himself. Yeah. Me signing the petition discharge tells everyone in this world that I want this thing voted on and on the floor immediately. That's what the petition discharge says. And if, and if, and if the speaker feels that this is a priority, he can either sign the petition discharge or tell everybody that as soon as it comes out, I'm putting it on the floor. He can make that public statement right now, but he won't do it. Well, I think you and I both said it separate times in this conversation. It is a priority for him, but it's a priority for him to stop or to kill, not to get past. It's not that, and that's the reality of it. And that's what I want people to know. Representative Scott Wiggum is, uh, is being scapegoated here. I don't think there's any question about it. Uh, the Speaker of the Ohio House has no interest whatsoever in unifying the conservative uh, supermajority. He is intending on honoring a deal that I believe he made with his Democrat counterparts in the Ohio House. Uh, Representative Wiggum, thank you for coming on. I'm very, very sorry this is happening to you. I'm glad you're going public with your pushback and your fight for this. Please keep us posted as to new developments, all right? I will. Thank you, Bo. Thank you, sir. That's Representative Scott Wiggum. We took this all the way to the news. We'll come back after that on AM 1420 The Answer. Enlightening the sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. 1038 now. Thanks for being with us this morning, this Monday. Yeah, I'm still here if you fell uh, victim to my April 1st prank. Sorry. (laughs) But not sorry, because it was funny and it was fun. And hundreds of people responding and were all freaked out. I told everybody uh, over the weekend, or I'm sorry, on Saturday on April uh, 1st. 
1st, which matters, that I was uh, moving to NPR. And uh, <laughs> the reactions were priceless. Uh, no, no, we're still here. We're not going anywhere. And uh, I'm glad you're here with us. 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. The number is to get you. We're going to talk more about President Trump, the indictment, which happened while I was away last week. Thanks again to my guys, Khalid Namar on Thursday, Rob Walgate on Friday. Uh, great conversations all the way around there, I know. Uh, and before we get into phone calls, and we are open now until 1110, we may be open past that. We're hoping to speak with State Representative Josh Williams on HJR1. He wrote a very uh, important statement, I think, about the importance of that. Well, that was redundant. Important about the importance. He wrote a very important statement about HDR1 and his support for it, and uh, we're hoping to have him on to discuss at 11.10. His schedule is a little dicey this morning. We're not sure. But if we get him, great. If not, there's more opportunities for you to talk about the indictment of President Trump. And whether or not, one of my big questions is going to be whether or not you donated to him in the aftermath of the indictment for the first time. Because as I started the show this morning pointing out, he raised over $4 million in the first 24 hours after the indictment was announced for his campaign. And according to the report from the New York Post, over 25% of that money came from first-time donors. People who were not going to support him before, did not at least financially support him before, but who were so outraged with the political persecution and the election interference that they wanted to speak out with their money. And they donated. I want to know, are you one of them? 216-901-0945. But before I do any phone calls or anything else, I need to um, make my daily call to uh, Speaker Jason Stevens. I've been telling you this now for a while. We need, by the thousands and thousands and thousands of us, to make Speaker Jason Stevens in Columbus know that we are demanding that he passed the 60% constitutional amendment resolution for a special election on August 8th. We have to have this. We cannot allow this to happen in November for all of the reasons that um, uh, Scott Wiggum just laid out for us. If we go there and pass this in November, at the same time they are passing the ballot initiative to to uh, uh, embed abortion into the Ohio Constitution, abortion will stay in the Ohio Constitution pretty much forever. Those two things cannot be on the ballot at the same time, because if they are, both are going to pass. And then what we're going to have is abortion will become part of the Ohio Constitution, and it will take a 60% vote to remove it, and we're never going to get there. So this is incredibly, incredibly important. I started doing this last week. And I asked you, I gave you the phone number, and I'm going to ask you again today. We need the speaker to know that he's done. We need all of the representatives in that gang of 22 that sold their souls and the souls of 30,000 aborted babies a year to the devil in exchange for blatant power, the gavel, committee chairs, and so forth. So we're asking you to call Jason Stevens and ask him to pass that resolution, to put this on the August ballot. His email address is jason.stevens at ohiohouse.gov. His phone number is 614-466-1368. I've been doing this for the last few days that I've been on the air. Whoa. What? That can't be. Oh, I dialed, I dialed it wrong. My mistake. I'm sorry. That was not a 
I thought they disconnected the speaker's number. No, I'm just uh, trying to do a radio show while dialing the phone at the same time, and I misdialed. That was my fault. Sorry about that. But let's do this. I've been trying to do this on the air just to encourage you. This is how easy it is. This is all you have to say. 614-466-1366. 614-466-1366. Matt Huffman is in support of the resolution. Conservatives and pro-lifers are in support of the resolution. We need Jason Stevens to be in support of the resolution. Hello, this is Jason Stevens, state representative for the 93rd District, covering Gallia, Jackson, Lawrence, and Vinton Counties. Sorry I'm unavailable. Please leave a message, and we'll return your call as soon as possible. Thank you. Record your message at the tone. When you are finished, hang up or press pound for more options. Representative Stevens, please pass the 60% constitutional amendment resolution for a special election on August 8th. Your constituents demand it. That's it. It's just that simple. We need thousands upon thousands of Ohio voters to do this, to let him know he and his gang of 22 are done forever if they do not do their jobs, which is in the title of their job, representative. If these representatives of the people refuse to represent the people and their very clear directions about what they want, then they're done. And they won't be swayed by a few hundred phone calls. They'll be swayed by thousands and thousands of phone calls. You need to make that call every day like I just did. Every day. And you can also send the emails, jason.stevens at ohiohouse.gov. jason.stevens at ohiohouse.gov. All right, 216-901-0945, John is calling us from Marco Island. John. Yeah. Formerly of Chardon. Yeah. Welcome back, my friend. Yeah. What's on your mind? Indeed. Welcome back from your trip to enroll your daughter in law school. Thank you. Uh, we need more lawyers like her out here who will view things objectively but conservative uh, perspective. Well, you know what? We've you're right. A, we yeah. do. John, before you talk about President Trump, and I know that's what your call is about, You're so correct about what you just said. It's incredibly important. I want to share a little story here, if I can interrupt a little bit of your time, because it goes to what you just said. Yes, my daughter's going to be going to law school in the fall at the University of Tennessee in Knoxville. We spent the entire weekend there uh, with Admitted Students Day and a bunch of other activities. But uh, I wanted to share this because I was having a conversation with her about this, and I want to share it with the the audience, including you. Um, The Stanford story, which we told in... Pretty good depth, I think, a couple of weeks ago. Stanford Law invited uh, a federal judge to come and address their law classes, their law students. And this particular federal judge happens to be a Trump appointee and happens to have made statements in the past um, that support, uh, you know, parents' rights and and other things. Uh, In other words, he's a non-woke judge. And the Stanford Law students greeted him as he uh, showed up to speak with name-calling, and uh, profanities, uh, they shouted him down, they refused to let him speak. He asked for assistance from an administrator so that he could give his presentation. The administrator came up and instead of dressing down the children, the children, the adult law students, and telling them to be quiet and listen to the, the judge that they had invited to speak, 
took the side of the students and told the judge how badly he made his stu- these students feel and how, uh, are you sure this is the juice is worth the squeeze, you coming here and presenting all this information? So I know I'm making a long story longer, uh, John, but I want everybody to know what happened. What happened is um, the dean of the law school wrote a letter of apology to that judge after this whole thing was over on behalf of the university and behalf of the students. The students were outraged that the dean dared to apologize for what they felt they were right to do, which is act like a bunch of pompous left-wing asses and treat a federal judge with so much contempt and disrespect. They were livid. So they staged protests against the dean. They staged protest, protests against the, um, against the judge. And so what happened after that was the handful of students who did not participate in the open um, uh, insulting and attacks at the judge and did not participate in the protest of the, of, the, of the dean's letter of apology, they've all gotten caught up in this because here's the latest part of the story. An announcement just yesterday. Federal judges have announced that they will not hire law clerks from the Stanford University law, uh, College of Law because of what these protesters did to that judge, Judge um, uh, uh, Kyle Duncan. Because of what they did, no Stanford Law students are going to be able to get judge or clerkships with uh, these federal judges because of what they've done. It's their way of saying, we will not tolerate this. We don't want people like this. Quote, we will not hire any student who chooses to attend Stanford Law School in the future. Um I'm trying to find the rest of the statement here. Um, yeah, and I'm not finding it because it's too long of an article, and I wasn't preparing to do this. This is all off the cuff because of your call, John. But at any rate, they said they will not hire students from Stanford Law. And I shared this with my daughter, and we chatted about it a little bit yesterday. And she said, oh, my gosh, uh, good for them. But then she said, however, I feel terrible for the students who didn't participate in the um, – you know, the abhorrent behavior uh, toward that judge. Now, they're not going to have opportunities because of what their colleagues did. And you know what I said to her, John? Um, circling back to what your original statement was, that we need more good, you know, conservative-minded, open-minded um, uh, uh, law students and, and lawyers. Uh, I said, yeah, I feel bad for them, too, and here's why. Because you could be one of them. Now, I don't believe that the University of Tennessee's law, uh, College of Law will be as left-wing and radical as the Stanford uh, College of Law is, but in the event something like that happened there or at other schools where conservative law students, and when I, by conservative, that means just that they're, they're non-biased, they're, they're constitutionally driven, not ideologically driven, those students are going to get caught up in the ramifications and the consequences of the actions of their peers. Um, It's unfair, but it's real. Innocent collateral damage happens wherever wokeness happens. When wokeness rules the day, people who refuse to be woke and who don't support the woke um, movements get punished for it. And in this case, it's the Stanford Law students who did not treat the judge with such contempt and disrespect. They're going to be punished in the same way that those who did are going to be punished here, and that's just not right. So I'm sorry to hijack your phone call, John, with uh, with that story, but when you brought up my daughter going to law school and saying we need more students like that, you're right, we do. And I wanted to share that story because it's important. Oh, man, Bob. 
Thank you, my friend. Um, so, uh, we've all been on board with Trump for next year, mm-hmm. uh, my wife and I, and, and the family. Till we saw a disgusting negative comment ad on Fox News putting down Ron DeSantis. And after we saw it the first time, we didn't get the source, so we stayed tuned till we saw it again. And lo and behold, uh, it was it was put on by Making America Great Again, uh, uh, Trump. You know, mm-hmm. and, you know, Trump has a lot of positive things going for him, but his style of campaigning is, I would submit, is not one of them. Well, you would find me in agreement with you there, John. Um, I I am disgusted by his attacks on Ron DeSantis. He has been harder on Ron DeSantis than he has been on Joe Biden. And, And it's all because Ron DeSantis, who has not done anything to Donald Trump, it's all because Ron DeSantis has made the mistake, as Piers Morgan said to him, of becoming too popular. He's an extraordinarily popular conservative governor who is taking on the left at every turn that he can find in Florida and winning support and, and, and from, uh, from a lot of conservatives. And President Trump doesn't want to share that spotlight of being the conservative, you know, a standard bearer uh, with anybody. And so he has attacked Ron DeSantis mercilessly. I'm disgusted by it. I do not support it. Uh, and I will continue to say so. The hard part is I am going to support Donald Trump against this ridiculous left wing attack by this district attorney in New York. I'm going to uh, this, this sure. persecution, this attack on democracy, this election interference. So, you know, Trump is in, in my opinion, John, he, he plays dual roles, one of victim and he is being victimized. It's real. And one of perpetrator. He is the perpetrator of untold numbers of, of, of campaign crimes against a fellow conservative that he endorsed and praised and saluted and supported wow. until he found out that he might actually challenge him for the primary, and then he had to turn around and try to call him a groomer and destroy him. So yeah. President Trump is, is a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B. He's a victim, and he deserves our support, but he is also uh, a very, very in my view, nasty, negative campaigner against other good, strong conservatives that do not deserve his vitriol. Yeah, and DeSantis hasn't even announced that he's going to run, although right. he probably will. But He will, yeah, yeah he, he, he will. Yeah. There's a reason he's making trips to Iowa and other places like other pre-announced candidates do. He's going to, and Trump is uh, trying to kill him before he even gets his campaign off the ground. Yeah, yeah. Well, if, uh, if DeSantis comes out the winner on this, I mean, I'm I'm rooting for DeSantis at this point. You know. Well, well, here's the thing. Uh, you know, well, what we should yeah. do, my friend, is all of us need to pledge to support the nominee with all of the vigor and and uh, you know and, uh, and and enthusiasm and sincerity that we can. And I will. If Donald Trump is the nominee, I will do everything in the world I can think of to get him elected to stop a Marxist Democrat from running this uh, country again for four more years after Joe Biden has already done it. Um, yeah. but, but is he my first choice at this particular moment in time? Uh, not necessarily, yeah. but, um, uh, I yeah. am going to defend him against what is being done to him, but I'm also going to condemn him for what he is doing to Ron DeSantis, who has absolutely done nothing to earn that, uh, earn that treatment. Yeah. Another, another amen to that. All right. Hey, John, thank you for the call, my friend. I appreciate it. <laughs> There's John calling from Marco Island. He's, uh, was in Chardon. Now he went South. He's smart. Um, We'll talk more about that. 
after the top of the hour, too. We can do two things at once. We can walk and chew gum. We can defend Donald Trump to the hilt, which I am doing and did for the entire 1030 to 11 o'clock portion of the show today. We can defend Donald Trump while also being very, very disappointed and very, very disgusted by his treatment of another conservative uh, warrior who is fighting for the right things in this country, and that's Ron DeSantis, trying to paint him as being a, you know, a Paul Ryan and uh, Jeb Bush, uh, you know, neocon, trying to claim that he's part of the establishment, which he clearly is not. There's a, uh, there's room for both. I will defend and support Donald Trump. I will also hold him accountable for some of the things that are just completely indefensible. I welcome your thoughts at two one six nine zero one zero nine four five. Right back. Okay, 1058, very short segment here. We are hoping to talk to Josh Williams, Ohio State representative from the Toledo area, coming up uh, after the top of the hour. Not sure, not 100% sure if that's going to happen or not. He's got a very tight schedule this morning. But if we get him, great. And if we don't, there's more opportunity for you at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. In the 1030 uh, section of the show today, I uh, talked about the massive fundraising haul that President Trump was able to put together in the first 24 hours after that ridiculous indictment was announced against him. Over $4 million was donated in 24 hours. According to the campaign, more than 25% of those donations came from first-time Trump donors. So what I want to know, where are you on President Trump after the indictment? Are you already in Team MAGA and going to support him and, and financially support him anyway? Uh, were you undecided, looking at him and DeSantis and any of the other names that might be in this race, but are now supporting him? Or are you somewhere outside of either one of those? You're just not really behind the, uh, the movement. I think we are all going to be in agreement that what is being done to him is illegal and is, and is completely reprehensible. But are you now in the camp, whereas you weren't before? Did you make a first-time donation simply out of support for him and the rule of law as opposed to the illegal targeting and persecution that is being done by people like Alvin Bragg and the demonic left? I'm very curious. Did the indictment of President Trump move you in any way? One way or the other. I don't care which. Or are you just business as usual? I'm steaming full steam ahead with President Trump or full steam ahead with somebody else. I'm curious. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. Join us. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know... And do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob Friends. 
1420, The Answer. Hour number three is underway. Good Monday morning to you. Thank you for joining us. It is, of course, the third morning of the fourth month of the year of our Lord, 2023. I want to start this hour by thanking, once again, my guest hosts who sat in for me on Thursday and Friday. It was Khalid Damar on Thursday. It was Rob Walgate on Friday. I love my bench. I do. My bullpen, if you will. Uh, if I can't go, these guys are ready to step up along with Peter Kersenow. Uh They're ready to step up at a moment's notice. Rob in particular. Thank you to Rob in particular because um, uh, it wasn't supposed to be uh, Rob on Friday. Peter Kersenow was scheduled for Friday. I tried to do a pretty good rotation with those guys. Um, but uh, it was supposed to be Peter, and then Peter came down with uh, some kind of infection, but he said he could barely speak above a whisper. So Rob stepped in on a moment's notice. Thank you for that, Rob, for being ready, and uh, obviously for the great conversation that I know you uh, uh, you sparked with your opinions. Uh, I disagree with those opinions uh, on, on matters of uh, constitutional uh, thresholds and so forth, but um, I absolutely support your right to have them and to share them and to say them, because one thing we don't do on the right side of the political spectrum is what they do on the left side, which is censor voices we don't agree with. We debate and discuss people with which we disagree. We don't censor them. So that was that was why that was so important to me. By the way, now as we start this hour, um, I did get a text message from Representative Josh Williams. He is still in court. He was hopeful that he might be done by 11 o'clock this morning and there, therefore be able to join us, but he is still in court, so he will join us uh, hopefully later this week. So we'll try to have that conversation. I want to begin this hour, well, two ways. One, I want you to answer the question that I that I posed before the end of the last one. Are you, or no, let me rephrase, does the completely indefensible, wholly inappropriate political persecution by way of indictment of Donald Trump make you more or less likely to support him than you were before? In other words, does it move the needle for you? According to the campaign, they raised four, uh, 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 excuse me, over um, $400 million in 24 hours. No, I'm sorry, not $400 million. I beg your pa- uh, pardon. $4 million in 24 hours uh, after the indictment. And over a quarter of that, 25% of that came from first-time donors. So it moved the needle for a lot of people who said, I didn't donate to him before, but I will now because this is, this is garbage. This has to stop. Are you among that crowd, or are you indifferent toward it whatsoever? You think it's wrong what's being done to Trump, but it's not going to affect your vote. You're looking for the right person for the next, uh, you know, for the nomination in 2024. I, I, did it move the needle for you at all? That's number one. Number two is I have to address something else that happened while I was away Thursday and Friday, and that is the fact that we saw multiple insurrections, multiple insurrections at state capitals in this country. Among them, one that I was in. I wasn't in Nashville, but at the Tennessee State Capitol, I was in Knoxville, the other side of the state, pretty much. But they had an insurrection, which nobody is allowed to call an insurrection, in Nashville. They also had one in Kentucky. The state house there was voting to override Democratic Governor Andy Bashir's veto of a bill that would ban transgender bodily mutilation and chemical castration and puberty blockers for for kids. And so in Kentucky, trans activists descended on the Capitol, and they converged on the steps, and they protested, and they banged, and they shouted, 
and they uh, ultimately ended up arresting 19 of them for criminal trespassing as they plowed into the building. They were all released on OR, according to uh, the district court there. But once again, despite this massive, um, I won't call it violent, but this this battering of the doors and these pushing through security in order to get in there and scream and protest looked awfully similar to what they called an insurrection on January 6th uh, at the U.S. Capitol. So it was a trans rights insurrection in, um, in Kentucky, and it was a gun control insurrection down in Tennessee. Because, of course, we know that in Nashville, that's where the terrible shooting happened last week. Three children and three adults killed by a transgender uh, person. Uh, a female by the name of Audrey Hale. We all know the story of what happened there. And immediately after that, the left has decided gun control is their is their cause here. It's not about the trans issue for them because they don't want you to recognize the fact that Audrey Hale is the fourth trans or non-binary person to have a mass shooting in the past several months. They don't want you to know that. So now it's just all about the guns. She had guns. She had assault weapons with her. And they're saying we have to ban assault weapons to stop this from happening again. It should be pointed out that the individual in Nashville also had a pistol, which is not classified as an assault weapon. So even if the assault weapons were banned, the individual would still have had guns. Because the gun and the gun style is not the issue. It is the intent of the individual holding it that is the issue. But nonetheless... They descended on the uh, state capitol in Tennessee with the uh, with the gun control uh, um, uh, demonstration slash protest dash. I'll say it insurrection that was going on Thursday morning. A group of these delusional lunatics breached the main doors of the Tennessee state capitol and occupied the lobby by lunchtime. They admitted into the legislative chamber. You can see legislators scrambling to escape as protesters protesters entered the upper balconies above them. Very similar to what happened on January 6th, but no one is allowed to call this an insurrection. Videos show the protesters shoving police officers as they tried to hold the crowd back. I mean, we're talking about things that look identical to what happened on January 6th. But nobody's calling for locking these people up in Washington, D.C. gulags, or I guess if they have them, in Nashville, Tennessee. They're not talking about that. And they're not talking about this left-wing attempt to overthrow the government. It's just a mostly, it's like CNN with the uh, fires behind them in the summer of, of rage of George Floyd. Yeah, it's mostly peaceful protests that uh, lead to uh, uh, massive arson and, uh, and, and, uh, and vandalism. So they called this mostly peaceful. The transurrection. See, in Tennessee, it was kind of a, a mixture of the gun control and the transgender day of visi- visibility, which was upcoming, which, of course, I completely erased on my social media profile and turned into the transgender day of reality rather than the day of visibility. But they used that and then the uh, gun control thing to try to literally uh, overrun these capitals, a complete and total insurrection in at least two American cities, both of them directly below us. To the north of us, way north, not just Michigan north, but to the north of us in in, uh, uh, Canada, it got even worse. 
a popular conservative activist who goes by the name of Billboard Chris because he goes to various sites and, and advocates for conservative causes and issues, giving him different point of view, wearing a billboard. You know, the uh, sandwich board signs, uh, the ones that you used, used to see on street corners with people wearing saying the end is near. <laughs> um, his billboard uh, up in Canada, where he was counter-protesting at a pro-trans visibility day or trans day of visibility uh, event, the front side said, children cannot consent to puberty blockers. That's so, that's so controversial? That's so, is that profane? Then, that in some way uh, insulting? Inciting, insightful of violence? Children cannot consent to puberty blockers. You want to know the reason why that is? Because they're children, and they haven't even reached puberty yet. We don't let children make decisions on things like that. We don't make let children make decisions on permanently altering their bodies. We don't let them make decisions on even things like sexual activities. Children are children for a reason. In their preformative minds, they can't make good decisions, why which is why we don't let them. So one side of the sandwich board that Billboard Chris wore said children cannot consent to puberty blockers. The other side had a definition of the word dad. Dad, noun, a human male who protects his kids from gender ideology. That's it. That's all he had. His billboard, his sandwich board, whatever you want to call it, didn't say F you, you know, trannies and, and you know, anti-gay. It didn't say anything that one would consider profane or provocative that should have led to violence. Yet violence is what he got. And the worst part about it is, as he was screamed at, viciously, by these trans day of visibility protesters, screamed at right up in his face, violating his personal space, screaming at him, then turning it violent, pushing, grabbing him around the throat, shoving him to the ground. The police who were on hand to police the event stood by and watched. The police allowed him to be harassed, harangued, and attacked, and did nothing about it. The conservative activists stated that the PD, the Vancouver Police Department, did nothing to keep the militant trans rally-goer from assaulting him and making sure that he wasn't injured even more in the attack. He spoke to one of the officers monitoring the rally that day, who told him on camera that it was his fault too, saying that he shouldn't have been there wearing his sign. You see, apparently in Canada, the First Amendment isn't a thing. Of course, they don't go by the United States Constitution, now do they? It's one of the reasons why we fight so hard on behalf of the First Amendment here, why I belong to groups like CFFS and ask you to join at citizensforfreespeech.org. The First Amendment is crucial here. They don't have it there. And that's why police can look at him and say, I thought it was a mutual fight. You didn't get attacked. It was mutual because you brought it on yourself by existing, by being in the space and wearing a, a billboard. Mind you, the billboard didn't insult anyone. It gave a definition of dad as he saw it, and it gave the stat- statement that children cannot consent to puberty blockers. That's it. That's all. 
and the police officers there allowed him to be assaulted. One of them actually smiled and laughed during it. So this is the new reality. On the, on the Transgender Day of Visibility, which, by the way, this happened on Thursday. Uh, no, I'm sorry. The, uh, I'm sorry. Let me get this straight. The Tennessee Capitol insurrection was Thursday. So was the Kentucky one. Then the Friday, Saturday, March 31st and April 1st were the Trans Day of Visibility. Apparently they get two. Um, this, is, this is what we now have to know. Insurrection is defined solely by the ideology of the quote-unquote insurrectionists. If the ideology is conservative in thought, well, then it's not an ins- or then it is an insurrection, punishable by years in prison. If the ideology is Marxist or liberal or leftist in thought, it is not an insurrection. It's a peaceful demonstration of opinions and voices. If the protest involves being for the Second Amendment and promoting America's right to arm themselves, well, then it's an insurrection. If the demonstration and if the protest is in favor of gun control and taking guns away from people in violation of the Second Amendment, then, well, that's, that's just a, you know, a peaceful demonstration. It's all about what your message is. And up there in Canada, police literally have said, you don't have the right to say this. You started or instigated, instigated the fight simply by wearing your sign. If you've ever wondered how important the First Amendment is, if you've ever questioned, maybe it's a better way of saying it, how important the First Amendment in this country is, I hope you have your answer. I hope you're learning by watching what happens to people who try to exhibit free speech in places where they do not have that protection. What happens to them? As a matter of fact, I'll combine both of those stories with this closing statement for now. If you've ever questioned how important both the First and Second Amendments are, I hope you now have your answers. I hope you understand. One cannot exist without the other. Each one depends upon the other for its survival and for our freedom. You see, if the First Amendment is taken away and we can't speak, the government controls us, which means we're going to have to find a way to defend ourselves against said tyrannical government using the Second Amendment. And if the Second Amendment is taken away from us and we have no recourse against tyranny, well, then they will easily be able to revoke the First. One cannot exist without the other. And we're seeing that play out in other parts of the world. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. Right back. Yeah, it's... um... It's quite an astounding uh, thing, this uh, thing that they held, uh, what, Friday and Saturday, this National Trans Day of Awareness or Day of Visibility. Is that what it was? Day of Visibility, I think it was. Because it was in celebration of that day that the White House issued a statement saying that it was time for us to pray for trans people because they're under attack right now. The statement was delivered three days after 
a trans person shot up a an elementary school in Nashville. Killed three children, killed three adults. Would have killed more if it weren't for the heroic police uh, action at the time. It's a Christian school. Christians are opposed to this bodily mutilation of children, this chemical castration of children, this confusing, this sexualizing of kids that are being advanced by the LGBTQ community. And it was Christians that got killed. The White House, in support of the trans day of celebration, said to pray not for those Christians, not for those children, but for for their killer, for the shooter. For the shooter and those who support the shooter, the trans community is under attack. Pray for them, the White House said. I just want you to know where we are. And I'm going to tell you where we are with a Bible verse and its implication. This was shared by Dr. Everett Piper, and it's worth the moment that it will take to read it. First, we overlook evil. Then, we permit evil. Then, we legalize evil. Then, we promote evil. Then, we celebrate evil. And then, we persecute those who still call it evil. Woe unto them who call evil good and good evil. Isaiah 5.20 That is where we are. I'll be right back. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by KeepingMedicareSimple.com and The Floor King. Okay, 11.35 on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. A couple more follow-ups to the topics that we were just talking about. I want to share with you... um, the first one, because I told you there were two different styles or, you know, forces joined, I guess, if you will, of insurrection at the Kentucky and at the Tennessee state capitals over the course of the last few days. <clears throat> one was for trans rights on the, quote, trans day of visibility supported in full by the president of the United States, which means he is supportive of gender or beg your pardon. You know, yeah, of gender dysphoria. And I was going to say psychological delusion, psychological disorders. Um Usually when people are diagnosed with psychological disorders, uh, the recommendation is to cure them, to help them, to provide them with therapy, to try to help them figure things out correctly, not cut parts of their body off and insert manufactured, invented, made-up, created parts of, uh, of bodies in their place. That's not usually the way that works. But that's what the White House did. The other part, of course, is the, the gun aspect of this. Uh, we gotta get rid of assault rifles. We gotta get, crack down gun control, so forth. I just thought it was interesting as they called in these state houses for bans on quote unquote assault weapons. It just dawned on me, and I put this on my Facebook and on my Twitter last night. Um, guns aren't killing as many people every year in the United States as drugs are. Particularly fentanyl. Fentanyl is killing hundreds of thousands of people every single year in the United States. Hundreds of thousands of people. It has increased exponentially over the last two or three years because of the Biden administration's policies on the border, but it's reality. 
So it just it it dawns on me if the cry for banning guns or banning particularly um, banning uh, assault weapons comes from the number of people who are dying with the use of I won't say because of but with the use of those assault weapons, then one would think that maybe we should call for a ban on fentanyl. Right? I mean, am I am I crazy here? More people are dying from fentanyl than are from gunfire. And if the call for a ban on assault weapons is the response to the people dying of gunfire, then why is nobody making a call for a ban on fentanyl? After all, if we just ban something, then criminals can't get it, right? If we ban fentanyl, then then drug dealers... And cartel members and drug mules can't have it and can't bring it into the United States and can't sell it to people because everybody in that process would be breaking the law. And as we know, as soon as a law is made, it can't be broken. So why aren't we, why aren't we banning fentanyl so that nobody can have it? Wait a minute. What's that, Johnny? Hold on. I'm being told... Fentanyl is already banned. Huh. What a unique development this is. Fentanyl is already illegal? It's already banned? You mean you can't possess it? You can't sell it in the United States? But what about the ban? If it's illegal, if it's already banned, how can it be in our society? I don't understand it. People are still dying of fentanyl and it's illegal? Wait, what? You see, sometimes you have to explain these things in elementary terms, in shallow terms, for the shallow thinkers among us. Sometimes you have to explain to them that just because we ban something doesn't mean it ceases to exist in the hands of criminals, who by the very nature of their, their, their definition of criminal, the root word of which is crime, they don't follow laws. So if you ban guns of any kind, what makes you think it's going to be any more successful than the ban on fentanyl or heroin or crack? What makes you think it's going to be any more successful to ban AR-15s, assault weapons? You see, people get their hands on things that aren't supposed to have their hands on them already. There's already a ban on guns being in the hands of convicted felons. Yet convicted felons somehow get out of prison and get guns. Well, I don't know how that happens. There's already a ban on on, on weapons, guns of any kind, whether they be six-shooters or nine-millimeters or, or, or assault weapons that you like to call assault weapons with ARs. Um, there's already a ban on people who are um, under the influence. It's called weapons under disability. And yet, people get stoned and drunk and have guns all the time anyway. You see, bans don't work if the people are criminally minded in the first place. Bans don't stop people from getting drugs, selling drugs, using drugs, profiting off of drugs. Bans will not stop guns from being possessed, from being sold, from being used in any way, shape, or form when it comes to the criminal element, because that's what they do. The only thing you do by banning guns is you make a nation of soft targets. 
You create a population of people who can't defend themselves from that home invasion, from that carjacking, from that attack on family, from whatever it is, from that massive beatdown in the middle of streets and at subway stops and on trains you see anymore. How many times do you have to look at those and then say, that's why you arm yourself, that's why you have your CCW, that's why you load heavy, that's why you protect yourself, particularly if you live in one of America's worst cities, Democrat-run, massive populations in very close quarters, very dense populations, these urban centers where this type of violence is, is routine every single day and becoming more and more prevalent. How many times do you see these attacks And then you say, should have been armed. Should have done what Kyle Rittenhouse had to do. But people who aren't armed are at the mercy of criminals. The only people who have guns, if you have a ban, are the criminals, because that's what they do. You don't believe me? Try banning fentanyl. Oops, already did. So it's extremely important to make make that case and to make that point. And the last thought on the issue, the combination of the insurrections of trans rights and gun control, the last one I'll share with you is on the trans issue. If you are a hardworking man or woman who like a cold Budweiser at the end of the day, maybe a Bud Light, maybe any one of their other products, how are you feeling about Dylan Mulvaney? Because that's your new spokesperson. Dylan Mulvaney, a biological male who likes to wear dresses some days and be a female, likes to wear kitty dresses and likes to be a six-year-old other days, who was invited to the White House by Joe Biden to interview him so that he can give more awareness and visibility to this demented, psychologically impaired individual to give them more attention Dylan Mulvaney, who has become a social media star for being a cross-dresser and, quite frankly, a very, very delusional one, is now a spokesperson for Budweiser. If you're a Bud man or a Bud Light man or woman, and you know which one of those you are, by the way, your new ambassador, your new spokesperson, your new mascot for Budweiser is this I, I won't even call him a trans person. He's He literally dresses up as a female sometimes and as a six-year-old named Eloise at other times. This person is now representing the king of beers. Wasn't Budweiser once known as the king of beers? This person now represents the king of beers. And I guess Budweiser's going to have to change that now, aren't they? To the drag queen of beers. So congratulations, Budweiser. I think you probably just lost... Mm, Four, five, six hundred million dollars worth of beer sales from decent Americans who are sick and tired of this agenda being pushed, literally in this case, down their throats like a cold Bud Light. That's it. Thanks to uh, Representative Scott Wiggum. Thanks to Johnny. Thanks to Marianne. Thanks to Marcy. And thanks to you for listening. Have a great, great day. We'll see you tomorrow. Be well. Be safe. Stay free. Bye bye. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
the explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.